Good morning. God is good all the time. If you please take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. We'll read on through verse 20. Romans 3, 9 through 20. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. talks about depravity. Uh, tells us how bad, bad off we really are. And, uh, it, you know, you don't read this and walk away feeling good about yourself. You kind of think you're kind of wormy when you get done with this. But let's take a look at it. It says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make you feel good, does it? <laughs> They're writing this about me. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth will be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God, because the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Father, thank you for this word. <clears throat> Lord, it's an indictment against us. It tells us who we are by nature and choice. But Lord, uh, in Jesus Christ, Father, you've removed us from a domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son. And we bless you for that in Christ's name. Amen. So Paul begins in verse 9 by making a statement based upon uh, his position as was described in chapter 1. If you go back to chapter 1, Paul talks about the position he, he holds. And, and, and he continues that until this chapter. So he goes, he goes on in chapter 1, he talks about the fact that, uh, that the, the Gentiles are guilty. And chapter 2 talks about the the uh, the uh, the Jews are guilty. Talks about the moral the moral person being being guilty. Talks about the whole world being guilty. Everybody's guilty in Paul's sight. Everybody, Jew, Gentile, no matter. He says we're all guilty. So that's the position that he holds. You know that the whole world is guilty of sin, and therefore whether Jew or Gentile, all are under sin. In verse nine, that's what he says. All are under sin. So then, for the next several verses after this, Paul goes on to demonstrate the sinfulness of all humanity. In short, we are all spiritually a depraved people. Now, I know there are some people who rebel against that thought that we are a depraved people, that uh, people don't want to look at themselves and say, I'm depraved. But folks, that's what we are. Let's, let's just face facts. Uh, if, if I could say this in proper English, ain't none of us any good. Uh, but Jesus in, in Luke, Jesus in Luke chapter, uh, chapter 6 and verses 43 and 44 says this. He says, for there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand a bad tree which produces good fruit. For even, for each tree is known by its own fruit. 
For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. So what we have here is a picture of man's inability to produce something that pleases God. It does not matter what good thing that we could possibly ever do on this earth. You know, we could be, we could be the, the biggest, the most generous person that's ever lived on the face of this earth, this, this whole planet. And without Jesus Christ in our life, that whatever you do, nothing that we do, God says, wow, that was great. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, we can, there is no way, according to Scripture, and we'll talk about this later, there is no way that we can please God while we're still in the flesh. We are conceived with a fallen, depraved nature. We are totally depraved people. So what we have here then is, is this inability for us to produce something that pleases God. And at the same time, not only do we displease God, but we have a, a heart that opposes God. Even if we do good things, our heart still is in opposition to, toward God. And why is that so? It is because that we bear a sin nature. That sin still resides in us. The sin of rebellion, the sin of disobedience that Adam and Eve produced in the garden, you know, they, they were a rebellious people. They rebelled against God's command. And that sin still lingers with us to this day. Every person conceived is tainted with that original sin. And that original sin is a sin of rebellion. It's a sin of disobedience. We are separate from God, nor can we ever bring ourselves to God on our own merit or ability. Just as we read from the prophet Jeremiah, uh, the, the prophet Jeremiah writes in, in uh, chapter, chapter 17 and verse 10. You're familiar with verse 9, says, the heart is deceitful above all else. But in verse 10 he says, I the Lord, I the Lord search the heart. I test the mind even to give to each man according to his own ways, according to the results of his ways. So then, what we have in, in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, is that which is produced by humanity due to the condition of our hearts. This is what our heart produces. And in order for you to understand this, if you uh, take, when you go home today, if you turn to channel, whatever news channel you watch, I don't care what it is, you turn it on and you'll see man's inhumanity to man. You'll see how serious sin affects people. That uh, there's rioting and looting and there's protesting and there's people hurting people and harming people. There's people robbing stores and breaking things. And there's people call one another extremists. There's people who, who, who hate one another because either of religious or, or political affiliations. And so we have a world that's with, filled with hate and disobedience. We live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. And so this is, this is what is produced by a heart that opposes God, a heart that is robust. In fact, let's just be honest. We are a totally depraved people. And you see the evidence of it. This condition of man's nature, this total depravity, is, is what we're going to talk about today. Now, to be sure, this term does not mean that we are as bad as we can be. It does not mean that we are as bad as we can be. Please hear me what I'm saying. We, all of us in this room today, we could, we could do worse but it means that without Christ, we are as bad off as we can be. 
When we are totally depraved, we are as bad off as we can possibly be. So here's the question that we must answer. And, and, and in answering it, there, there's a twofold response. First of all, what is total depravity in its fullest sense? And secondly, what is the effect of our having being, of our having or being totally depraved? What is it and what's its effect on us? So in our, in our response to the first question, what is total depravity? Uh, let's look at verses 10 through 12 of our text. And, and here Paul, Paul plainly states in verses 10 through 12 of chapter 3, he says, there is none. Do you see that? Look at uh, verse 10. He says, there is none. And then he says, there is none who's righteous. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. There is none who does good. So when, when, we, when we have a church that says we are going to be a seeker-friendly church, well, that's wonderful if, if you understand that Jesus is the seeker and we want to be friendly with Him, as J, David Jeremiah says, and that's wonderful, but that's usually, what we, that's usually what we do not mean. What we're saying is that we, we want to produce a church that is, that is friendly to those who are seeking God. Here's a problem. There is none who seeks God. They're seeking their own personal, I want to feel good about myself, but they're not seeking God. I want to feel good about my relationship with humanity, but they're not seeking God. I want to feel good about my relationship with my family or my friends, but they're not seeking God. I want to feel good about my neighbor, but they're not seeking God. They're seeking to justify themselves in in the eyes of other people. They're more interested in their performance the way other people see them. And how they see themselves. Because that produces, in some way, gives them self-worth. But that is not seeking for God. He closes out verse 12. And he says, there is not even one. In all this world, seven and a half billion people. Without Christ, listen, without Christ, there would not even be one person, not even one person, he says, that would even begin to seek God. Don't you find it odd? You read in, in, the, in the Gospel of John, it says, Jesus came into his own, and his very own did not receive him. There are none who seek for God. Folks, if you've read Genesis, you would know that God created all things God creates all things, right? Everything. The whole, the whole universe, including you and I. He, he, he made people. Created Adam and Eve. He looks at it in Genesis 1.31. It says in Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made. And behold, it was what? Very good. When God created everything, including humanity, Adam and Eve, It was all very good, but then something happened, didn't it? The first humans, Adam and Eve, sinned against God in a blatant blatant act of disobedience and rebellion toward Him. That's all we need to say about that. It was a blatant blatant act against God's command... They rebelled against them. They became disobedient and they fell. End of the story. 
From that point forward, things were no longer very good. They were not even good. They're not even fair or poor. They're horrible. The things get worse and worse. Sin had entered the world and death and corruption became the consequence of sin. In fact, things got so bad that we read in, in Genesis chapter 6. Let me just turn it. Let me read this for you. Genesis chapter 6, uh, verses uh, uh, 5. Verse 5 says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of his thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Look at verses 11 and 12. It says, now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God and the earth was filled with violence. He must be looking at today's news. And then look at verse 12. It says, God looked on the earth and behold it was corrupt for all the flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Verses 17 and 18. Behold, I, even I am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life from under heaven, everything that is on the earth will perish. But I will establish, and he says, I will establish my covenant with you in verse 18, and you shall enter the ark. And you and your, he's talking to Noah, you and your sons and your wife and theirs and your sons' wives with you. Here's what we have. God starts everything all over again. He chooses eight people. There are whatever population they had in the world at that time. Everything is destroyed. Everything is destroyed, human-wise, except for Noah and his family. He does bring animals aboard the ark, but as far as humans are concerned, there's only eight people left. Noah, his wife, his three sons, their three sons, and uh, you've probably seen that TV show, My Three Sons, that's it. No, his three sons and their wives. But listen to this. As we go further into Genesis, we find this guy named Noah and his wife and their three sons and three daughters-in-laws, eight, eight people in all. So they're saved through the flood. That's all that's left on the world population-wise. Now, you might suppose that this new beginning would eliminate the sin problem, wouldn't you? Once Noah left the ark, what did he do? He grew a vineyard. That's like saying, you know, the first thing I do when I get off this boat is I'm going to go to a bar. <laughs> he, grew, he grew a vineyard, Genesis 9.20. That's what he did. He grew a vineyard. He gets drunk on what is produced in that vineyard. And he falls asleep in his tent, naked. His son, Ham, comes along and sees his father laying naked in there and begins in some way to mock him and criticize him. So he goes jokingly to his brothers, uh, Shem and Japheth, and he says, listen, uh, come and see what I just saw about dad over here. So rather than falling in in line with Ham's wanting to, them to join him in mocking their dad, laying there drunk and naked, they grab a, a garment, a, maybe a cover of some kind, and they walk backwards into the tent and they drape it over their father. Their father, Noah, somehow finds out that what had happened. And uh, when he wakes up, he understands that uh, Ham has been, uh, uh, has had some dishonorable uh, conduct 
coming to him, or uh, judgment coming to him. He then proceeds to curse Ham's son, Canaan. Why would he do that? Why not just curse Ham? Ham's the one who did it, not Canaan, because, let me tell you something, he understood something, that what he found in Ham, his son Ham, is also what he saw in his son Canaan. And he says, okay, you are going to be a slave or subservient to your descendants, your brother's descendants. What does all that mean? What happened? Let me tell you who Canaan is. Canaan is the father of the Canaanites. The Canaanites inhabit the promised land, Palestine, Israel. When Israel came in there, they fought against the Canaanites. They, they fought against them all the way up to the time of Solomon. In fact, when you get to the time of Solomon, we're talking about hundreds of years later, when you get to the time of Solomon, they, they had become, they become forced laborers under Solomon. They never completely eradicated them. But these people, the Canaanites, were enemies of Israel. They were enemies of God's people. They fought against them for hundreds of years. When Noah cursed Ham's son Canaan, that curse lasted for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Sin continued to spread even in spite of Noah and his family being the righteous Noah. Sin continued to spread throughout the entire world. It is universal. It separates people from God. It is self-willed. In, in the Psalms 14 verses 2 and 3, we read, the Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. You read that in the Psalms. You read the same thing again in the book of Romans, that there is nobody who does good, that we are all corrupt we are all corrupt. We ask ourselves a question when, when people violate other people. We say, why did they do that? They do that because we are all corrupt. We should not be surprised that people do crazy things because we are all corrupt. We are depraved, totally, sufficiently depraved. Our second question is, how does this total depravity affect us today? The answer, uh, to, to answer this, we, we again look at the Scriptures. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Paul lists for us there four conditions that are a, resu that are a result of our depravity. First, in verse 1, we see that we are dead spiritually. That is, that we are, when he says we're dead, we are dead to God. 
We are, we are dead to God. There is, there is no, if we are dead to God, that person who is dead to God, don't say, well, this person is seeking for God. If you're dead to God, a dead person does not seek anything. If you are spiritually dead to God, you're not spiritually going to seek God. You're going to seek for something that you can turn over a new leaf. We always have people say, well, I'm going to, I make, I'm going to make a New Year's resolution. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I don't know what kind of leaf they're looking at, but brothers and sisters, you cannot turn over a leaf and discover who God is. It's an impossibility. The flesh does not seek for the things of God. It only seeks to satisfy itself willed. It wants to satisfy itself. It, is, it wants to be autonomous. You know what an autonomous person is? When people say, you know, what I want in my life is I want to be autonomous. I want total autonomy. You know what that means? I do not want anything or anyone governing me. Don't, don't govern me. That's autonomy. Self-willed and self-ruled. I do what I want to do. I don't care what anybody says. I am self-willed and self-ruled. That's why I kind of get a little antsy when churches say we're autonomous. Well, we may be autonomous in the way we govern ourselves, but we're not autonomous in a matter of leadership because we come under the headship, the lordship of Jesus Christ. We're not autonomous in that respect. We cannot do what we want to do. We are free to do what God wants us to do, but we are not free to do what we want to do. That is sinful. Because what do we want to do? We want to do that which opposes God. That's the tendency of the human nature. We want to oppose God. In verse, in verse 1 again, also Ephesians 2, it, it tells us that we walked in step with a world system that is ungodly and under the rule of Satan. Do you know why you're seeing what you see over here? Because this world is controlled by Satan. He is the, according to Scripture, he is the prince of the power of the air. Is that what we read? Am, am I making this up? Do you read that in Ephesians chapter 2? He is, the, he is the prince of the power of the air. The Greek word is aeron. That is our, means our atmosphere. That is his domain. Our atmosphere is his domain. He and his minions are loose in this atmosphere. And I don't mean the minions from Despicable Me. These guys are not cutie pies. They're horrible creatures. Verse 3 of Ephesians 2 says states that we lived with a heart filled with, un, with lustful desires and is driven by a carnal nature. Our desires are lustful. We look at one another. We're to look at one another with, with a sense of agape love, are we not? But how do we look at each other? We look at each other, if we have a lustful heart, we look at each other with an erotic love, the Greek word eros. We look at each other, and we, we make an object out of other people. That's not the kind of love that God commands us to have. 
He says we're to look at each other in a way that we would be willing to sacrifice ourselves for one another. We're interested in the other person's good to benefit them, but not to use them as an object to please ourselves. And in verse 4, we see that our sinful nature, Ephesians 2, 4, our sinful nature caused us to be under God's condemnation. The wrath of God is upon us. God's wrath will not be upon a person. They say, no, this person is really a good person. No. When people say, well, Lord, I'm good. I keep your commandments. I'm good. According to Scripture, God's wrath is upon you and I. So let's look at this. Based on what we've looked at already, are you feeling really good about yourself? We're, we're a miserable lot of people. We're in horrible shape. Now then, given all these examples, plus the list that Paul gives in today's text, and, and you used to say, well, I understand that I'm a depraved person, but if that is not enough for you, you need more proof of our, of our depraved nature, you can go to Romans 5, 5 through 10, and there you will find Paul says that we were without Christ. Now, this is concerning our relationship with God, without Christ. We are helpless in verse 6, Romans 5, 6. We are helpless in verse 6. We are ungodly in verse 6. In verse 8 says that we are sinners, and in verse 10 says we're God's enemies. So he just, he just, the problem is now exacerbated all the more. But wait, you say, I need more. How bad can we get, Pastor? How bad can we? You want more evidence? Concerning total depravity, okay, there is Romans, uh, there is 2 Corinthians 2, 14, and 2 Corinthians 4, 3, and 4. It tells us how bad off we are. You know, that, that Satan has blinded our minds. He has blinded our minds. That because our minds are blinded, that we are perishing with him. But let's focus some more on the word dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. This word has a double meaning. Two meanings. The first one, it can mean a separation of a person's body from their spirit at the time of death. You understand that. Uh, guess what? If the Lord tarries is coming in the next several years, many years maybe, all of us, you know, we're not going to be here. Let's put it that way. It can also mean a separation from God in a spiritual sense of it, that we are dead to the things of God, spiritually separate from God. In Ephesians 2, 1, the second meaning is probably more the intent of Paul in the immediate sense of it. The death that is to be a physical one is certain to occur. It is going to occur in your life and in my life. I think about it from time to time. I say, you know what? 20 years from now, I probably won't be here. Maybe 15, perhaps even 10, maybe 5. I don't know. Could be tomorrow. I don't know. But you know, it's, it'll be, let's put it this way. It's, it's pretty late for me to start an IRA. <clears throat> and all of this, all of this deadness is due to sin. Romans 5.12. Because of one man's sin. Because of Adam's sin. Death entered the world and death because of sin. Listen closely. The moral, the moral and conscious aspects of a person, even though he or she may be without Christ, 
Even though that person's without Christ, the moral, the moral and conscious aspects of them are still alive. They still have a mind and a will and emotions, don't they? Yes, you do. Everybody has a mind, will, and emotions. But without Christ, that mind, will, and emotions are all energized and governed by a fallen, depraved, sinful nature. Everything you do without Christ, everything you do is governed by a nature that opposes God. Why? Because you are dead to Christ, but you're alive to sin. You're alive to Satan. He's energizing your mind, will, and emotions. He governs your mind, will, and emotions. He'll, listen, he's fine with you doing good things. He don't care if you do good. That's wonderful. Do good things. Help people. You know, save a, save a well. Whatever you want to do. That's fine. Do all those good things. You know, keep a tree green. Whatever you want to do. As long as you don't do God's things. You can do all the good you want to do. Just don't do God's things. But this leads us to a final thought. We're going to spend a little bit of time here. Final thought. The matter of our total depravity is spoken of in Romans chapter 8. And I need for you, and what I've done today is I've gone, I bought this Bible years ago. I rarely ever use it. The, anybody ever use the Amplified Bible for anything? It's an amplified Bible. It takes the text and expands it to every possible Greek meaning it could have. So I, 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 I took my uh, amplified Bible today, and I want to read you some stuff from Romans chapter 8. First, I want to look at verses 6 through 8 in Romans 8. It says here, Now the mind of the flesh, which is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit, is death. Death that comprises all the miseries arising from sin, both here and hereafter. But the mind of the Holy Spirit is life and soul peace, both now and forever. That is because the mind of the flesh, with its carnal thoughts and purposes, is hostile toward God. For it does not submit itself to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So then those who are living the life of the flesh, centering to the appetites and impulses of their carnal nature, cannot please or satisfy God or be acceptable to Him. You all understand what I just read to you? That a person without Jesus Christ is not on their own accord. All you got to do is make a decision for Jesus. You walk up, you know, you just need Jesus. You need to accept Jesus. Let me tell you something. Them, a person who's just out of their mind, will, and emotions going to accept Jesus. Again, proper English. Ain't never going to happen. Why? Because the mind and the will and the emotions are what? They're connected to the domain of darkness. On your own, your own, your own ability to come to Christ. It's not that you have no ability to come to Christ. So how do you come to Christ? Well, let's, let's read on. Let's read on. Same Bible, Amplified Bible. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Excuse me. Everything's a blur right now. 
12 through 17. So then, brethren, we are debtors, but not to the flesh. We are not obligated to our carnal nature to live a life ruled by the standards set up by the dictates of the flesh. For if you live according to the dictates of the flesh, you will surely die. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you are habitually putting to death, making extinct, deadening the evil deeds prompted by the body, you shall really and genuinely live forever. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, listen, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For the Spirit which you have now received is not a spirit of slavery to put you once more into bondage to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, the spirit producing sonship in the bliss of which we cry, Abba, that is, Father. The Spirit Himself thus testifies together with our own spirit, assuring us that we are children of God. And if we are His children, then we are His heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, sharing His inheritance with Him. Only we must share His suffering if we are to share His glory. Folks, listen very carefully, I want to tell you. The only possible way for you to share in the things of God is for God to share His life with you. God is doing this. When you hear the good news concerning Jesus Christ, that Jesus, born, born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, was crucified, bore the wrath of God, and bore your sin, was buried, and was risen again on the third day. When you hear that account as to who Jesus is, being the Son of God, and the proof of His being the Son of God, and His, and his uh, redemption work satisfied is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you understand that, you understand that not because your mind has the ability to understand that, but your mind has now, because the Spirit has regenerated your heart, has regenerated you, you are now able to hear what the gospel message is, and you come to faith, say, I put my faith in Jesus Christ, not because you had faith, but because the Holy Spirit who gives you life, gives you the regenerating ability to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. The Bible says no one can say that Jesus is Lord apart from what? From the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who must awaken your heart. Your heart is dead, and He puts life back into you. He gives you a new heart, and with that new heart, a heart that is not one of stone, but one of spiritual flesh, if we can use that term, says that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I put my trust into Him. You can't do that yourself. It is a work that God does in you. And that depravity is gone. Depravity is gone. Jesus in John 5, 24 says that you have passed from death unto life because of what the Holy Spirit has done in your life. You know, when you preach that message, people say, ah, I don't believe that. It's all about me, 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 me. No, it's not about me, 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 me. It's about Him. He does it all. 
And he does it because Jesus went to the cross in your behalf. For those, for those of you who put your trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus went to the cross in your behalf. Uh, there's an old song that we don't sing the song anymore. But I like some of the old songs. I close with this song. I'm not going to sing it. I'll read it. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way than this. I shall ne'er get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. I must needs go on in the blood-sprinkled way, the path that the Savior trod. If I ever climb to the heights sublime where the soul is at home with God, then I bid farewell to the way of the world, to walk in it nevermore. For the Lord says, come, and I seek my home where he waits at the open door. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know that as I onward go, that the way of the cross leads home. Not your way, not my way, not the Baptist way, God's way. Let's pray. Father, we just trust you today, Lord. We just need to trust you today, Father. It is that we, we, we have no moral ability. We're, we're a spiritually bankrupt people. But God, I just pray in the name of Jesus, Father, that you would awaken that soul that is the nearest hell right now. And Father, that a work of regeneration would take place in someone's life today. Lord, that you would bring that person to yourself. Lord, I cannot do that. This church cannot do that. Our denomination cannot do that. Lord, only you can do that. Lord, bring that person or, or persons to yourself. Lord, only you can do that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You do what you want to do in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.